The Velvet Hammer, an inside look at trial lawyer life with Karen Kohler. Real life stories about fighting the good fight. I was talking to an attorney named Johnny Finch, a criminal attorney in North Carolina, who met me through Mitch Jackson's podcast. And Johnny was also doing his own podcast and invited me to be on. And we were talking about trial, trial lawyering, uh, and what it means to be a trial lawyer, and in particular, a minority trial lawyer. Uh, Johnny was very fascinated with trial, as am I, and, and interested in, in a lot of details about different cases, particularly Ride the Ducks, et cetera, et cetera. But one thing we agreed on and that we talked about and kind of ended with was the concept of vulnerability. I want to talk to you about that today, vulnerability, and what does that mean? Uh, It's kind of a buzzword, a word that people aren't afraid of saying or sharing, and people go to classes to learn about vulnerability and... uh, make it sound like they're willing to be vulnerable. Um, And yet, very few people, in my experience, are able to be vulnerable. And yet, vulnerability is a key to communication. Not just for the lawyer, but also, for example, for a witness. In trial, a plaintiff has to get up on the stand in front of 12, 14, 16, however many alternates there are jurors, and in an instant be able to communicate and relate to a jury just as if they were on TV and and the jury was us watching and making our snap decisions. You don't have a lot of time and luxury of time to get to know someone, then to come back the next day and get to know them some more and then wait a couple of days or weeks and then come back to know them some more and then build an impression over time and get over some of our inherent biases and learn through education who someone really is. No. For the trial lawyer and the witness or party, we're talking about snap judgments that are going to be made quickly because that's all the amount of time that you have before a jury is a quick moment in time. So, one of the ingredients that's necessary in order to really connect with the jury is the ability to lower your guard so they can see into you and feel comforted and confident that they are being told the truth by a real human being. And jurors are skeptical because, of course, we live in a skeptical world where there's just a lot of noise and there's a lot of dishonesty and there's a lot of people trying to put on a good face and, you know, everything else that happens in a world where there are people. (laughs) So jurors do take their job seriously and they want to know that they're being told the truth and they want to know that they're going to be doing good if they believe you and they want to believe you, but only if they can. Enter vulnerability. Now, many people talk about vulnerability as if it's just a coat that they can wear and take off. Oh, I can be vulnerable. 
They say, I know how to be vulnerable with the jury, and the jury's like me. Well, how do you know that? And in my experience, most people don't like to be vulnerable. It's very uncomfortable. You want to be vulnerable about certain things. Maybe there's certain things that you'll be vulnerable about. They're cool things. They're not really embarrassing things. They're cool things, or maybe they're embarrassing things that were embarrassing when they happened, but time has passed and you've got over them and you can talk about it now because you don't mind. But vulnerability in the truest sense means ability to talk about things even when they are very uncomfortable, even when they're embarrassing and humiliating and you wish other people didn't know about them. And we can give lip service to that, but I don't think everybody can do it. So I used to blog a lot more than I do now. I now do some podcasting. I don't think anybody should just get a, a I don't know, a pattern of behavior, set it in stone and do it for the, forever and ever the same way. I am guilty of being a habit-based person, so... I might have a habit for a long time, but then I'll replace it with a different habit. So my habit of blogging, which I did religiously for years, I've now replaced with a podcast habit. Um, But maybe I'll go back to blogging because I do like to write and I like to diary and all of that. But I'm going to tell you a story about something that didn't happen too long ago. That's an example of my willingness to be vulnerable. I'll tell you also that as a lawyer with, quote, unquote, a reputation, unquote, unquote, to uphold and who works for a prestigious law firm and who represents females and minorities in a more public way, perhaps than other lawyers, and has a lot to uh, kind of stand up for, I have faced my own criticism, not my own, but other people have criticized me about being too vulnerable. I've had people say, Karen, why do you write about the mistakes you make? I can remember writing, (laughs) I thought it was an innocent little blog about tripping over wires and, you know, in my high heels and and you only get one outlet in the courtroom, King County Superior Court, because it's so unupdated and you have to have all these different extension cords to all these different pieces of equipment and I'm dancing around these wires and catch one with my heel and almost fall over. Um, That makes me, you know, I'm willing to look like, paint the picture of looking like I'm bumbling around, which I really was. Uh, But one lawyer said, why would you tell people that? Like, why do you, why would you even admit to that? Or my biggest thing I'm known for, which is writing about cases and diarying them, whether I win or lose them. Uh, heavily criticized for writing about that by some people who said, how, you know, how can you write about cases that you've lost? Is, aren't you embarrassed by that? I mean, aren't you worried that people will think that you're not a good lawyer because you lost a case? And I find that whole school of thought just bizarre uh, and part of the plaintiff culture of braggadocio that all we can do is talk about our victories and never our our losses, but I believe we take too much credit for our victories and our losses. It's really our clients' cases, and juries made the decision, and we do our very best, but 
are we really the reason that someone wins? And are we really the reason that someone loses? Well, we're a factor, that's for sure. But I guess I just don't take myself that seriously. And yet, I do. I mean, I'm a human being. I take myself seriously, too. Part of my journey of becoming more vulnerable had to do with my children, and still does to this day. There is no one that can knock me on my butt faster than one of my kids. I can remember going out to trial. My kids would give me the side eye, looking me up and down and say something like, "Uh, Mom, those shoes have got to go. Uh, Or, Mom, what is going on with your hair? Or, you know, they are really good at doing stuff like that. Um, Or, Mom, you're not making any sense. We don't know what you're saying. (laughs) And when you have forces in your life, whether they're children or family members, my mother, geez, the most critical person in the world, my mother never said anything nice about me to my face. Now, she would say nice things about me to other people. And later in life, she would say occasionally a nice thing to me. But in general, I did not grow up with the concept of positive criticism. I grew up with negative criticism and developed a thick thick skin and a willingness to just take it on. Um, Her heavy criticism of me did not appear to have wounded me. It just made me more determined to push through it. Um, Regardless. Let's get back to the whole subject of this conversation. Which is vulnerability? I'm going to tell you a story, which I've been leading up to this whole time, kind of maybe prevaricating a little bit. Uh, But I want you to think about why I would even tell you a story like this. And maybe it'll resonate with you. Maybe you'll think about something that happened to you that was kind of awful <laughs> and the tell and maybe you'd rather not tell anyone or let anyone know about it boy let me tell you i have a whole bunch of stories like that none of them are secret everybody knows some of them uh, but normally i don't podcast them this one i'm going to podcast so it happened maybe and I'm going to lose track here, but I think it happened in around January of this year. And I was at home working for the day. I had been at the I normally would go in the office in the morning. It was during the kind of holiday season, and I would come back in the afternoon and finish out uh, during the day. And I can remember I was sitting at my little, it's not really a desk, it's really kind of a deskish table underneath a big picture window that looks out over Puget Sound. And I was sitting on my pink ball at home, looking at the window and starting to do some work, and an email popped up. I know, I know, you guys are saying, Karen, have you not learned about email yet? But just... Put yourself in my position, okay? So an email pops up, and the email is from Amazon. And it says, your order of a Lenovo laptop computer uh, is in transit, and here is the tracking 
information. And it had a lady's name and a Texas address. Well, I was not that lady and I don't live in Texas. And I thought, what? Now, for one thing, I'm going to defend myself here. For one thing, it did have Amazon stationery on it. It looked very Amazonian. Uh, It looked as Amazonian as it possibly could be. This was a well-done Amazon product that had the track order. It had everything looking very official. I track. Anyway. Oh, you guys know it's coming. I know you do. It had a number there. And after a little bit of sweating, I thought, my gosh, I can't. Okay, by the way, I just drank fizzy water and you might just have heard me burp a little bit. I'm sorry about that. But again, this is about vulnerability, right? It's just a fact of life. So anyway, I click on it. I open it up and I go, somebody has got my credit card. Wait, somebody's hacked my Amazon account. Wait, someone has my credit card. What? Amazon, my whole Amazon account, which is linked to my credit card. And then I went and looked at my Amazon while well, I went to my credit card and looked it up. And you know, Amazon never itemizes anything. So all you ever see are the Amazon charges. Well, who keeps track of Amazon charges? I mean, that's part of the beauty of Prime, right? They get you hooked in with Prime and you charge so much on Amazon that you just lose track that you're even charging at all because it's just part of life and you don't even think about it. And I have all these Amazon charges with no descriptions of whatever anything is and I'm thinking, oh my God, someone else has my Amazon card because did I... Could I have made all those purchases? And what are those purchases? And I have no idea what those things are. So back to the email, there was a phone number on there. And I called it. Oh, yes, I did. I called it. I called the phone number on the email. Okay, at this point, you're going, Karen, Karen, hello, Karen. Okay, yes, I should have gone to the Amazon customer service site on the internet and called them. But no, I went and called the number on the email. Someone picked up right away. Someone from India whose name was Dan. I knew it wasn't Dan, but I just thought, well, maybe they gave him the name Dan for their American customers. Dan was very, very knowledgeable. He was super knowledgeable. And I am not knowledgeable about coding and internet scams. So Dan said, oh my God, hold on. Let me get, oh, your account has been compromised. Oh my gosh, there is a ring. There are people that are, okay, I'm going to read some charges to you and you tell me if these have happened or not. And he proceeded to read to me about a dozen charges placed in New Mexico, Texas, Louisiana, and Maine. By now I'm sweating. I'm like, oh my God, can you suspend my account? Stop my account. He's like, oh, this is very complicated. (laughs) Okay, you guys, do not laugh. I was not laughing. I was sweating. I thought that something terrible had happened. And Dan knew all this lingo and I did not. Did I tell you that I was also voted the most gullible person in my junior ninth grade year of school? Okay which was going to become a true story. But before I get ahead of myself, Dan is telling me that 
these people, this is well known, they do this, but there's a way to stop it. Okay. My brain is filled with adrenaline, uncertainty, and all my common sense has gone completely out the window. I'm a trial lawyer. I've gone to school for many years. I've also been a lawyer for 34 years. I've had three children. I have uh, navigated life for 59 years, and I can say big words, right? Did any of that make any difference? No. Did my brain get back to rational and be analytical? No. (laughs) Dan says to me, okay, it's very important that you follow my instructions. I need you to go to the, the store, a store. Do you have a CVS? I said, no, but I have a Bartels Drugs. It goes, I need you to go to Bartels Drugs and I need you to buy a card. It's an eBay card. I need you to buy two of them uh, for $25 each or $50 each or whatever he said. No, he might have said more, $100 each. Because Amazon is working, has a relationship with eBay because eBay has a software and the software can go into your computer through blah, 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 and it will go back and trace this and shut down this unauthorized use. I go, I don't believe you. Okay. That was a good thing for me to say. I don't believe you. I don't even know who you are. How do I know who you are? How do I know you're telling me the truth? Oh, ma'am. I am very concerned. This is very real. I've done this many times before. You know, I understand that you're concerned, but uh, this, is, this is how we do it. All right. I test him one other time. I say something else. He's super fluid. He doesn't even blink an eye. I go, crap. Well, I'm working. He says, okay, well, if we don't do this right away, then it, it's, I, I can't, we can't be responsible. I then throw on my tennis shoes and run out the door with my purse, drive to Bartels, run into Bartels. There are no eBay cars. I call him up. I say, there are no eBay cars. By the way, I haven't hung up the whole time. He's been on the phone with me as I threw on my clothes, jumped in the car and drove to the store. He wouldn't hang up. I was too scared to let him go and he didn't want me to let him go. So he goes, well, is there another drugstore? I said, yes, there's a CVS down across the block. So I jog over there, which is two blocks, and he's still on the phone. I go there. I find the eBay cards. He goes, great. He goes, go buy them now. Uh, And I run back to the car. He says, okay, now scratch off the numbers and tell me what the numbers are. I do that. I give them to him. He goes, great. Okay, hold on. Okay, I'm sitting in the car. Nala's in the back of a parking lot of Bartels, having just scratched off two eBay cars, street value, I think it was $200, or maybe 150. I can't remember, you guys. It was it was a, it was an amount of money that wasn't going to kill me. But come on, he gets back on the line. He has this great news. We were able to shut down um, two of the cities, but we still have two more cities to go. I said, I think you're lying. I don't believe you. How do I know you're telling me the truth? He says, We need you to go get two more eBay cars. I said, I then sit there and argue with him for about five minutes. He says, Ma'am. I'm going to get you uh, my supervisor, okay? I'm going to get you my supervisor. So Dan, with the Indian accent, gets me his supervisor, whose name is Brad. Brad also is Indian, clearly. But I again go with it. 
I say, Brad, what's your address? And he says, whatever it is. I said, I said, where? And he says, well, the other guy told me that he was in San Francisco, and you're telling me in New York. That's that's an inconsistency. I think you guys are liars. And he says, no. Um, and you know, gives me some explanation. So, rational Karen is fighting with irrational Karen, and irrational Karen is going to win the day. He says, <laughs> "I know, I know. It's so embarrassing." He says, "We need two more eBay cards. I have to get out." I keep him on the phone. I run across the street, down two blocks, over to CVS, buy the cards, get back in the car, scratch it off, give it to him. By now, I have now lost, I don't know, $300, $400. At that moment, something in my brain just suddenly kicks on, and I say, you are liars, and I hang up on him. I hang up on him, and I sit in the car, and I go, I think I just was scammed. I'm pretty much in disbelief. Like, I was just scammed. I'm pretty sure of it. I then call my daughters. (laughs) And I tell them, and we do a group call. I tell them what happened, and they're, like, dying. They're like, are you kidding me, Mom? You just, are you you kidding me? This is not real. You just got scammed. They said, do you really think that Amazon would have you go get eBay cards? Because eBay is the one with the technology (laughs) I'm so embarrassed, and I'm just like, you know, I'm just like babbling about it, and they're in between chastising and laughing at me, and that is vulnerability, ladies and gentlemen, being willing to get scammed and tell you about the scam. Now, I had several options. One was to never tell anybody about the scam and just lose my money and be quiet. I blocked all those numbers, and yada, yada, yada. I learned my lesson, or did I? But at least keep it quiet so no one would ever know that Karen Kohler, a trial lawyer who thinks she can do good in front of a jury and is you know strategic and all of these things, great ad- adjectives, yeah. Or I can take away the power of that scam, which is what I chose to do, and which is what I typically choose to deal and why I don't have secrets. I just choose to give away the power of a secret. Guess what? Guess who I learned that from? I learned it from Oprah 10 years ago. Oprah taught to reject secrets because of the power that they have over you, and I rejected it. So I told my dad, I told my stepmom, I told anybody that wanted to know the story of Karen getting scammed. By the two Brad and Dan gentlemen from India, who told her to get eBay cards so that they could get rid of the fictitious people who had access not to her Amazon card. All right, well, I hope you enjoyed that story of my humiliation. As I said before, that's not even the worst of the stories that have happened to me in my life. I don't care that you know about it. I don't care that the defense knows about it. I don't care because it has no power over me. Did I get scammed? Yes. The bad part of it was I lost the money and my pride was wounded. The good part of that story is that I do believe in people in general and maybe sometimes to my detriment, but I tend to operate with the presumption that people are good. And if that is a crime, then so be it. I'm never going to change. I may get scammed every once in a while, 
not an eBay scam ever again. But for me, a plaintiff lawyer, I believe in the overall innate goodness of the human race, the desire to do good and to be good and to act good. (laughs) But I would have liked, I would have liked to have not been taken advantage of in that way. All right, so there you go. That's my lesson on vulnerability. True vulnerability is willing to have people see what normally you wouldn't want anyone to see for the purpose of letting them understand that you want them to see you and you want to be able to see them. And the only way that that can happen is if you lower the walls and let people in to the good, the bad, and the eBay embarrassments. Over and out. Over and out.